Hello, and welcome to this property podcast from EG. I'm Tim Burke, EG's deputy editor. We're talking about the real estate finance market and sentiment as the sector enters a new era. After months of political turmoil and challenges from soaring inflation and rising interest rates, what schemes and assets are drawing lenders' attention? What does supportive government policy look like to firms? And what are some of the House views on how the rates environment plays out from here? To tackle these questions and more, I was joined in the EG studio by Gavin Eustace, founding partner at Silbury Finance, Paul Obersnyder, chief executive at Hilltop Credit Partners, and Will Skular, head of private client lending at Investec Real Estate. Here's our conversation. Well, let's start with a snapshot of how your respective businesses are entering 2023. Obviously, a huge number of challenges over the course of last year for the economy, for real estate, for the financing markets. Let's have a sentiment check, a snapshot of, of how you've seen this year start. Paul, I wonder if I can ask you to kick us off. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, sure. Thank you. Um, last year was challenging. Uh, I mean, obviously for for all the reasons we know about um and you know our business we looked at quite a few deals but we actually really took a pause and and didn't underwrite didn't deploy a lot of capital last year for <clears throat> probably for good reason um however going into this year i'm quite more optimistic um as a lender i think we're entering an era where you know, we're going to see a lot of opportunity on repricing of assets, of balance sheets, businesses that, you know, will have to be resetting their loan books in the in the next few, well, 12 to 18 months. Um, so we see that as a huge opportunity. And um, so compared to last year, I'm, I'm quite optimistic for this year on an opportunistic level. Will, do you share that sense? Feels a different different place now. To, to we've been having this discussion, say October, November. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, funny enough, we we did a uh, a client sentiment survey, uh, um, which I think we did big, almost exactly a year ago today, and it was so positive. And fortunately, we didn't publish it immediately because we had to do a little bit of working. But by the time it was ready to go, the market had changed dramatically. Um, you know, Ukraine, inflation, interest rates, and you could just see the confidence ebb out of the market. Um, a year on, we I think a lot of those shocks have been absorbed. We've been working, um, I think the, the, the biggest one, obviously, is interest rates have gone up from, you know, we've had 14 years of sub half a percent interest rates to now, what, 4% today. Um, and that has put a a strain on the serviceability of debt and the amount of debt one can take out or what our borrowers, our clients can take out. Um, so I think there's a, the, the, the face of the market has changed quite a lot. However, and I think the big however, where I would definitely compare, uh, contrast it to the GFC is um, the level of gearing was so much lower. So we haven't seen the distresses, we haven't seen the loans fall over, and we've seen proper relationship banking where you try and work with your borrower to find a solution. So we, we 
to, to answer your question, how do I see it now? I, I see this as a, a sort of almost a dawn uh, where we, we sort of see probably interest rates, maybe we'll probably come to this later, but we, interest rates probably peaking and then beginning to come off. And I think with that, there will be confidence will be coming back into the market. So actually, we, we see this year as a, a really interesting year for opportunity for our client. And hopefully, we'll be going to help them with that. Gavin, does that chime with how you and the team are feeling about the year ahead? Definitely. I mean, we, we, we do feel a lot more optimistic. And, and I think you can see it in the markets where, I mean, I'm sort of looking at the interesting idea at the moment where, you know, the, the Bank of England's raising interest rates and mortgage pricing is coming down, um, obviously, on the fixed rates. It sort of gives you that idea of how, you know, how concerned everybody was at the tail end of last year. Well, the five-year swap rates come down. Precisely. It's completely so, I mean, come it's, down. It's, it's forecasting much lower rates. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's fundamentally different. And it does make that a lot more serviceable. And if you look at in um, rental, rental um, prices going up at the same time, you can see how the, the yield is going to correct on, on real estate. Um, so it's, it's looking more logical. You can see the mathematical sense behind it. And, and I'm feeling a lot more confident. I, I think if you're on good sensible stock appropriately geared like we've been talking about so if you, if you think back to the gfc where you know that was or it, assets were too highly geared you had much higher interest rates you had derivative swaps behind it and then if you look back to the the liz trust sort of um or the the budget what was very interesting about it is you got a market correction in about the space of six weeks um it, it was an, it was enormous you know, literally flooded straight through the market whereas you think that's the gfc that took a while to work its way through um, whereas this actually, we've had a quick, sharp pain, um, and now you're seeing a logical way forward in terms of that repricing. Um, and yes, I mean, you see Halifax Nationwide doing their report saying house prices are going down. I think we know that. Um, it's it's not such a shock, and I think they will soften this year. I think everyone's expecting that before stabilizing rents are going the other way, and you'll get the yield correction. So I feel a lot better, whilst there have been some bad things going on in the news and you know, gas prices are coming down, I I feel optimistic. I actually do. It's a very different scenario, as, as, as you've said, from what was faced in the GFC. But what, when we look back at that, what lessons can we take from how real estate and the finance market responded then for, for well, five servers long? The, the big difference is um, in 2007, 2008, we had a liquidity crisis. The markets froze because there was no liquidity in the marketplace. There's plenty of liquidity in the market today, um, and that's the the, the, the big difference, um, in my opinion. So it's unlike unlike what we saw, where things just people just stopped lending. Um, you know, I don't think we have that same scenario today. Um, you know, and the way the way central banks responded to that was you know, by sending rates to ultra low rates, to zero rates, to improve consumer consumption and get the economy going. You know, I think that, you know, we as we as lenders, we as consumers have to get used to the fact that that really wasn't normal. Um, you know, uh, zero interest rates make everything expensive. Um, you know, when everything's free, when the cost of money's free, then asset values are extremely um, mispriced and um, we just need to get our heads around the fact that you know rates probably where they are, are comfortable um, because it, you know you, you get savings 
when rates are zero, you have no savings. You have no investment in the market. Um, and, and you're seeing that now. Uh, so, so, so I'm actually encouraged by what central banks are doing and raising the rates a little bit because it encourages, I think it just makes the economy more robust um, on how we, you know, how we price things. What are some of the house views around the table on where rates go? I mean, you say you're comfortable at the moment. At what point do you become uncomfortable? I'm comfortable where we are, and I agree with Gavin. I think rates have probably peaked if you look at the swap rates. Um, you know, I think <laughs> I think central banks are in a bit of a conundrum. They can't they they are their own worst enemy at this point. You know, um, if you compare their own balance sheets to 2008, they're the ones that have bought all this debt. So it, they're having they're going to have difficulty pricing themselves out. What they have to do is let inflation run its course, and 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 you know. So I think probably we need to deal with that, um, but I I don't think they can raise rates much further. I, I'm no economist. I'm not a central banker, but it just, you know, I think they're probably okay where they are. But pricing is is the markets are already saying pricing is coming down, and you, and if you look at the cost of inflation as well, if you look at commodity prices, that they peaked last June. If you look at timber, if you look at steel. Um, if you look at natural gas, I mean, all those prices have, have already peaked nine months ago um, and, and, and just are just filtering their, their way back into the market. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, we've gone on record, at least I'm glad I'm not the, the one that predicts these things, but our, our, our group economist has gone on record saying we, we believe uh, interest rates will peak at four and then the, towards the end of this year come off to probably three and a quarter percent three three and a quarter percent um and i think when you start to see interest rates coming down you'll see confidence coming back and you'll you'll feel that people might look back today and say why didn't we buy stuff right now this could be a you know great buying opportunity moment um and it's a it's a you know it is a herd mentality property values and um when the confidence ebbs no one you, you can build build your way out of any sort of business plan the same is true when markets are, are you know, tightening so you know we think i think the counter to that i would say is how long the uh, recession lasts for um i think many many commentators feel property values and um gdp is a direct correlator um, and you know if the market if the if we do go into negative growth in the, as, a, as an economy for a pro prolonged period of time that must have an impact on values over perhaps longer than perhaps we would wish for in certainly in this room yeah i mean on that point though a lot of it is supply and demand though so you've got this huge yep. <clears throat> imbalance of of stock and demand and you know that's just a that's that's been going on for more than 15 years and, um, and you're right actually and if you you know you can see the rents going up and if you think yeah. back to the gfc which is a point you made actually which i agree with when that happened you had the credit of the banks the house builders all collapse so that's what actually sort of reduced the transaction volumes i, I know sure. transaction volumes are coming down now but the supply demand is going to come back quickly you don't have massive credit issues in the lenders in your house builders um so at that's kind of what I'm agreeing with. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you that I think supply, uh, I think demand will come back, 
I think um, if interest rates do top out where they have or, or near about where they have, um, then I, I think this year could be a slightly quieter on the transaction front, but the next five years, yeah. I see growth and I, and I genuinely do. You need to get the consumer sentiment back back, and that, that'll take some time because yeah. the mini budget and the, 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 the trust announcement, I mean, that, that set consumer sentiment back 20 years <laughs> yeah. in, overnight. And, and so that, that'll take some time. Um, mm. But the fact remains um, that there's simply not enough stock being completed in the market and, and, and for a variety of reasons, um, but also primarily because of planning, you know, and, you know, you're just unlike other countries or unlike say the U S you know, or which is a market that I'm familiar with. You, you have, you have an issue with the planning system here. So you just can't, even, even when in, in a low interest rate environment, even with zero interest rates, um, in the UK, we were unable to build enough stock um, to match that demand. Um, so, you know, and that and that's all down to availability of 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 permitted land. I, I completely agree with you, and and you can always you can always even if you take the step beyond that in in terms of how much supply is coming through. If you look at the house builders, they're all pulling back in terms of how much they're going to deliver this year. Yeah. And you know, if you look at the GFC, where you looked at how much house builders were building versus where house prices went afterwards. And I, know, I mean, I was, I was working in Lloyd's at the time and restructuring house builders, and it was it was a really interesting time. So you could you could really see how they were trying to, well, a bank needed to understand that you needed to advance further credit to, you know, shore up the house builders so you could you know, buy more land, build more stock and everything like that. And Lloyd's actually, we got there, got there very quickly. But if, if you look at what's going on now, they're building a lot less stock. That's going to flow through for the next three, five years because you can't catch up that quickly. And, you know, growing population, growing demographic of 18 to 21 year olds who are moving out of their houses, you know, growing aging demographic and the supply demand just, it's not getting any better. Yeah. So in a, in a period like this, what does, what does supportive government policy look like to the market? What, what are you looking for? Certainty. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you, know, you can only, you can only build a business plan when you have some certainty around the the environment you're working in into i think the one of the i think one of the shames uh, picking up um uh, gavin and paul's points about planning is how the government have really largely ducked that as a as an opportunity and um to planning isn't popular isn't popular for people who are local to planning but it's very popular for the people who want the homes and that that voice has been been lost somewhat i mm -hmm. think and we see it with our client base, the, the frustration and the uncertainty in obtaining a planning consent, even in a zoned location, is 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 a difficult business case to make, particularly when you've got, you also you've had um, cost inflation on top of that. And you, you put those things two to, together and you look at the actual risk return for actually committing to a, a development, it, it makes it quite marginal. If we look at some of the um, some of the key government policies, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on. I guess whether it's appreciated enough what what um, what real estate and what the real estate finance markets can do to support them. Uh, I mean, leveling up, and I almost feel like I've got to put that in a sort of air quotes. It, 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 can, it seems to mean a different thing by the by the week. 
what can real estate do to to drive that as as an agenda for the government? And does it feel does it feel that the powers that be have, have genuinely appreciated the impact that um, that the industry? Well, I don't even know what that means. What what does leveling up mean? I mean, who, what does it mean today? Um, equal affordability for different parts of the country. Um, you know, you're never going to have that unless you have more availability of stock to be able to be built. So, I mean, it goes back to planning. Um, you know, if you're going to talk about leveling up, you need to fix the planning system, and and that's going to take a lot of resources. And I don't think at least uh, it feels like nobody wants to, to sort that out um, because going back to certainty um, you know it's it's not even about it's not even about the length of time it's about the certainty I mean pl pl people put in planning applications for for new build developments and they may not even hear back for 18 months and then it's you know, okay, fine. You don't want to give me planning? Well, tell me today. Don't tell. You know, I'm not going to wait 18 months. Nobody has that kind of time, uh, and time costs money. So, I think it goes back to if you want to level up, you you have to change the the, the system. But I think actually, uh, sorry, I, I fundamentally no, agree with you there. I, I think we've got a number of issues with this. So let's say once you've taken your 18 months and you've got your planning, hmm. you've then got to build it. Um, yeah. And we don't really have the workforce for that. Um, you, know, you think back to the original farm review, it's talking about how many you know, builders, contractors we've got in this country. Um, you know, that's never been looked at or not properly looked at. You know, we've had Brexit, which, you know, <laughs> who says we're still talking about that, but we, yeah. we don't have enough skilled labor. So, you know, even, even with material prices leveling out, yeah. you've still got a mass shortage of labor. The number of times on my sites where you've got good developers, schemes are behind because they can't get labor, they can't get brickies. That's very true. Um, so actually, you know, let's say you sort out the planning issue. So we, we get ourselves through that. We've then got to build this stuff. Um, and that's one of the, you know, that's a fundamental issue. You know, we don't have enough, we don't have enough labor. And and that's kind of, um, it's interesting because it sort of slightly ties into to your point when you talked about local areas, not always thinking about the impact. And it's good, well, there's a lot of employment you know, that comes from this. There's a lot of, it's not just building houses. There's a lot of investment that comes from the two, three years it takes to build a large housing project in an area. And it might come with, you know, a supermarket, cinema, things like that. And there are so many positive benefits for the local area. And I, I do just sort of take it back to, you know, right now you go planning followed by workforce. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How, how at risk <clears throat> is that appetite for investment? And what you are talking there about, um, about opportunities that are a lot broader, as you say, than, than, than simply the housing. Um, are we really putting that, that appetite at risk in not addressing these, these sorts of issues? Well, I think it's about being able to deliver it um, because you sort of, you'll go back to it going, okay, where's your certainty? Where's your certainty on planning? Where's your certainty on cost? Where's your certainty on time? Um, you know, you've got the labor element building, you know, you've got, you've got uh, wage inflation anyway, but you need to know that you're going to be able to get the people to build it within a set period and how much that's going to cost because, you know, time delays in themselves um, cost. Um, so it, it it's fundamental to it, but it's, it's very interesting. You say the government has been aware of it. You think back to the farmer review that was, I'm trying to think that must've been, a, I've actually even forgotten a lot of the details from it. It was so long ago. It was like five, six years ago, wasn't it? Um, I think everyone's smiling here because we're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should probably look at it again, but it's, you know, we've, it's got worse. 
um, when we're in a country with a rising demographic of 18 to 21 year olds. So yeah, let's look at planning. Let's look at, let's look at our workforce um, because that sort of goes into, well, what I might think leveling up might mean. Not that I do know, but. Do you think the perception of, of the UK has changed overseas during this period? And how has that affected capitalist jobs? I think cap, well, we're, we're Gavin will know because we're in the same business. Um, I wouldn't call you actually a startup lender, but you started Silbury two years ago, two years ago. So yeah. we're kind of at the same place because we started Hilltop three and a half years ago. Um, you know, so we're constantly on the road capital raising. And I have to say that you know, capital raising has been really difficult in this last year. And, um, you know, because of all the uncertainties, as William pointed out earlier as well. Um, so so it hasn't been easy. I think it's going to get easier. I'm more optimistic for this year. Um, we're having lots of conversations. So people do buy into the, the idea that there's going to be a lot of repricing that needs to take place. And so capital is looking at it. But, uh, but I think that yeah, we've done ourselves, the government's done themselves a really a disservice going, I, I don't want to make a political commentary, but but with regards to Brexit and labor shortages and, you know, knee-jerk reactions to to how to make the economy work more efficiently, um, you know, we've been through a heck of a year. Um, I'm surprised we fared as well as we have, actually. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. We, we, we're Investex, a South African-based business, at least it, and we, with a, obviously a strong UK presence, and we regularly service clients who bring their money from South Africa to UK, um, and we still see that flow of cash as as they as I suppose it depends what perspective you're coming from. The UK is still considered. Um, politically stable, although I think we've had some dents in that reputation recently. Um, you've still got a very good uh, land law system where you, you do know if you're buying something, you do actually own it. Um, and I think, certainly in my experience, when I've been investing abroad, you've got um, you've, you've got integrity from the professional services if you're if you're being told one thing it tends to be that's is what you're getting so there, i think there's i think there is a there's still a lot to be said for the uk absolutely we've had some bumps along the way but um i think there is still a, a fantastic offer here and we're still seeing our clients recognizing that opportunity and and, and um wanting to access the market i i agree with that yeah i would agree with that I wanted to take us on to some elements of the ESG agenda and, and sustainability, and I guess get an idea of how how that is being factored into your um, your business processes, the kind of schemes that you're you're looking at. How is how is ESG come to shape the agenda for for each of your companies? You know what? It's it's funny because I look back to to just before we started Silbury. And I can still sort of remember my last place I worked where ESG sort of became a bit of a, uh, it was becoming more of a, a nice to have. So you'd have certain loans and then you'd have certain elements to them where you, you might call it a green loan and do something different. Um, 
I found quite interesting since going through the Silbury process with Oak Tree and, and the borrowers we're looking at is it's not that anymore. It just has to be. Um, you know, you, you have to build you know houses or you know flats to a certain EPC rating. Right. You literally you can. It's no longer an option to go actually. You know, we'll happily do an expensive loan on low quality housing um, in a location and just you know make a load of money. It's just it's it's a flat no. I think it doesn't it doesn't even get through the door anymore. Um, but I think that's going right the way through government actually. In all fairness, if you look at what they're doing with building regs, you think about what they're doing with EPC ratings in terms of flatted properties and new planning consents. Whilst I accept everything else have been has been a struggle on planning and and a lot of what the government does, but. Um, that has actually been pushing into the sector, and then to you know to fundraising um, in terms of your LPs asking what you're doing is just the cornerstone now. And certainly for us, is if it's not, we can't do it. And I think a lot of people are probably saying the same, actually, aren't they? Yeah. So, so we we've been looking at it very carefully, and what we wanted to do was something that actually made a difference, rather than it looked good for our our accounts. Um, so the, the first piece we've been looking at and uh, going to talk about EPCs is the one which is probably most easily measurable. So we've now got a lending policy that we will then to sub EPC standard buildings, but only on the understanding that it will be improved to the standard that is required. And we provide, we will be providing support and strategic partners to help get those assets from where they were and to where they need to be. And we only want to work with clients who are interested in doing that. Otherwise, to take your point, we won't do it. But we we also but we want to be part of that solution. So that is something we're doing. I think because if you can't access that funding to turn the situation around, then everyone loses. Then. Everyone loses, and we, the, I think the most of our built um, environment is sub EPC. I think it's D or E, if you if, whatever it is at the moment. So it's. You know, if you actually take what the legislation and when it's going to be enacted, we have a we have a spectre, particularly as a bankers, that some of these buildings won't be able to be used, yeah. and that that's not very good security. But that's not really the point. But the point is, we need to get those buildings to an efficient standard, and we want to be part of that that solution. I think then actual green loans is more difficult when you're looking at what is best in class green buildings. What are they really? Yeah. Uh, what what key, key uh, what key performance indicators should you judge those by and is it if you just move uh, the 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 cost of it a small margin is that really making a difference and i think the, the industry has is going down that route but to uh, what extent it really makes a difference uh, i'm yet to see i think where we do see it is particularly in the office market is that is what tenants want so that's for therefore that's what does need to be produced and that is a sort of almost a, a, a demand driven element rather than the supply driven element and that's interesting right because it suggests that regardless of the requirements on those ratings for example if tenants are demanding it you've got to build it yeah yeah what kind of you mentioned there the difficulty in finding the right kpis in in the green loan space what are your what are your sort of early thoughts when you say you're on that journey that you would be that you would be looking at um i think that's a great question um and that's the research we're doing because I think you can. There's, I don't think there's any um, legislative uh, framework particularly per se. So that's there's a lot of people who are claiming to provide green buildings, and you've got BRIAM and you've got EPCs, and you've got all, all good things like that. And that may be 
uh, deals with the E, um, and then the you've got the other elements of it. I think what is interesting about again going back to offices is what you know again demand driven. If we are going to get our friends and colleagues back into offices, you have to have fantastic looking offices, which are nice to work in, and that's that your social element is coming through on that. And I can and I can see that, and we can see it in our own in our own space. We provide a very nice working environment, which is free for people. Um, so I think that is also, I think from the employer's point of view, it is again a sort of you do need to provide it to get it to that stat, to, to get people back into the office. What happens to the office buildings that just don't tick that box? Presumably difficult to finance. Or something. I, I think it's, I think it's very challenging. I think we saw. Permissive development, I think, was one of the great bits of government legislation that has really facilitated change in his redundant buildings. And uh, I'm, it's, I know there was criticism of it because some substandard uh, buildings got, or well, residential got built, but it was a game changer. Going back to um, the difficulty in planning legislation, when you had certainty, you knew you could do it, it got done. And I can, and you, and it brings people back into the town centre. So I think I would be relooking at permitted development, um, allowing substandard office buildings to be brought back in. You've also got the inherent uh, carbon capture within a within the building, rather than ripping the thing down, which I think is a, a you know we do need to be in a sort of make do and mend mentality uh, in the building environment. Um, so I think repurposing office buildings that aren't fit for purpose today. I, is a, and bringing it back into sort of residential use will be, a, you know, a tremendous thing to look at again. Probably widen that to retail as well. Yeah. yeah. So, sorry, I was going to say widen it to retail if you look at your high streets. Um, I was actually, I was, I was talking to a retirement living operator and uh, it's interesting, a lot of retirement living villages tend to be outside of town. And uh, this operator was talking to me about sort of very keen to try and see planning support for putting them in towns. Um, and your your retail being a very good example of it, where you know our high streets are struggling, you've got a lot of closed shops. What can we do with them to breathe life back into the high street? And and I do think you know a permitted development route or, or a change of use to support residential would be a really good idea. I think just on that, looping back into your leveling up piece, where we have seen. We've looked at lots of shopping centres over the over the years, and we funded them successfully when they were popular, and <laughs> less successfully when they <laughs> haven't been. Um, and we have actually backed clients with business plans to re repurpose shopping centres, and it is incredibly difficult to do it just through the private sector, with um, the uncertainty around planning, um, a lot of rightly tenants. Um, uh, security of tenure on their asset so uh, without any compulsory purchase help um, and it makes it very very difficult to repurpose a shopping centre which is the right thing for the centres do need to be uh, brought back into life taking Gavin's point well, well we have seen it working well we have seen local authorities buying their own town centres back in yeah. and that does seem to me a very smart bit of uh, funding and the right thing for them to do and you know really working what do people want in the in the loca locality and then being able to facilitate that with some certainty because obviously they're the planning authority and the the owner at the same time so is it is it public private partnerships that we really need to look to 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 bring that life back to our tenants? i think so i think if you're just if you're 
basically whatever price you pay for a shopping centre, if it's meant to be a development, it's a, it's still a cost. There's no real value in the land because you, you can't get vacant possession. So you'd need that certainty of planning and vacant possession. And then, then I think the private sector will come. And, and also you can make sure it's done. You, you take your S box in terms of making sure it's socially responsible. So the idea again, you're not just, you know, closing down a shopping center and, you know, small businesses are being put out. It's the case of doing it in the right way. So it benefits the local community. So we don't end up with your dead high streets. Um, you've actually got, you know, councils working with it. Um, they're getting the right planning consent and getting the right properties, the right, you know, commercial units as well um, to breathe life back into our towns and cities. Well, we, we started the conversation. You have to, you have to look oh, at. Sorry, go on. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just thinking back. I mean, the role of the, the role of the rural shopping center, was really primarily to um, replace high street um, shopping as suburbia moved out of the town centers, <clears throat> far more prevalent in the U.S. than here in the U.K. Um, so shopping centers got built here. But suburbia didn't really, for all practical purposes, follow um, in the way that it could have or should have, again, because of planning. Um, so the retail that you have here was never really as strong as it could have been or should have been. Um, it's, it's the high street in this town centers, I think, that need to be brought back, as William said, and rejuvenated, because I think that's where the real value is for consumers and you know, um, <clears throat> you know, tough challenge. Though. It's a tough challenge because the the anchor tenants of a shopping center would be two things: it would be an anchor food store, and it would be a department store. The department stores really don't exist anymore because you've got Amazon, so you don't need those. Th those anchors are gone. Um, you know, and food stores. Okay, I get that, but you know, is that enough to anchor an entire? entire shopping center full of key cutters and shoemakers and probably not you know so so yeah those need to be repurposed you know. and the high streets have to be you know repurposed yeah um will referred to this as the new dawn when we when we started the conversation um, and you were all spelling out how much more relatively optimistic you you felt at the start of this year I wonder if just to draw this to a close, I could get a quick thought from each of you on um, what you expect to define this. If this is indeed a new dawn and something of a, a, a new era, what will what will define the year ahead, the period ahead for you? Paul, if I could ask you to go first. I think credit. I think being in the credit space, I've been on both sides of the transaction. I've been a. I've been a. a you know, I've been the guy that built shopping centers. Um, you know, I've been the GP, I've, I've been the operating partner um, for a lot of LPs. Um, and now I'm on the other side of the transaction where I'm actually providing the capital on the credit space. Today, I tell you, I would much prefer being on the credit space than on the equity side of the transaction. The, the sort of comparable risk adjusted returns from where we sit are, are much better um, given our exposure. And um, I really wouldn't want to be on the equity side. So I think, you know, given given the fact that we're moving away from these ultra low interest rates, given the fact that balance sheets need to be repriced, given the fact that you've got good businesses with bad balance sheets that need to be restructured, I think 
for the foreseeable future, credit is really the place to be in terms of where we are as a business. Um, there are sectors within our business that I think are doing well. I mean, Gavin, I just read an article this morning about how Silbury is supporting and lent a lot of money to the retirement sector. I think that's a huge market um, and one that they're really building on. Um, I think the other market that really doesn't exist but wants to exist here in the UK is the multifamily asset class, which which everybody's talked about for 20 years, but doesn't exist because the BTR market is mom and pop fragmented. But that's a market that people need to get their head around to make that as a as an asset class very about you know that 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 solves a lot of the the affordability problem um you know because you have this generation that can't get on the property ladder but they need a place to live um so and what they don't need is amenitized housing they need kind of unamenitized workforce housing um that's affordable to live in and 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 that's an asset class that really doesn't exist in the UK and, and needs to exist. You know, so that's, from my point of view, that's the area that we're looking at quite seriously. Gavin, how about you? What, what was the biggest thing that you were happy in your mind? It's quite interesting because um, I think Paul's right, actually. Um, I mean, I think two things. I'll go with the, I think, rental sector. is It's definitely the professionalized rental sector has, has now got its time. Um, and, and I really do. And I, th I think it's there are a lot of opportunities there. And I, I'd say rental in terms of built to built to rent for let's say the, the normal residential sector, but also for the retirement living sector, because you're not seeing much rental in, in that space. So I think that'll come through. Um, but I, th I still think it's going to be interesting because I think the, the credit markets have, have, have found their feet. Um, you know, it's interesting where you see, you know, a lot of people are. are a lot of bodies are forecasting you know, 10% house price falls this year or 5% or maybe a bit more. And, and we're all pretty comfortable with that. And if you look at what debt pricing is doing and everything, it's, it's a stabilized market. Yet I think it's quite interesting when you get a Halifax or a nationwide update, makes the front pages of all the newspapers. And that's your consumer confidence going, it's great that we found our feed, but how does the consumer respond to the next nine months or, or so or, of negative house price growth? And, and even when you take that into consideration, going actually it's a reset to a pre-COVID bounce. Um, so it's not actually that big a fall whilst it corrects for a slightly higher interest rate market. So, I mean, I think economically, I think it's going to be fine. Um, so I think it's consumer confidence and, and how that responds um, and how quickly it catches up with the, with the markets and then the rental sector. And well... I yes, <laughs> I, don't remember, I don't remember saying that, but I'm, I'm sure it's on tape. I, I, okay, so I think I agree with Paul about uh, what we, the three of us, do for a living. I think the the risk return is good in our sector right now. Um, probably driven by well, the margins and the, the LTV levels we're at. So I think that's a. I think the, the the banking sector is robust from that point of view, and I think that I think we may even see more entrance into the market because I think it is a good way of deploying um, equity into in, into the business into the into real estate. Um, we've um, traditionally been very supportive of student housing. Just, just put another sector into it. That still remains robust. 
and there's, there's some, actually been some good rental growth in that market over over the last couple of years amazingly really considering covid and what the, the poor kids have had to go through um but you know that this we're still seeing it coming in we and we still got to, we, we we support that client base strongly i think opportunistically uh the everything's called logistics these days but let's call it the industrial market i think that will um be interesting there's still there's good rental growth in that sector and yields have adjusted and that was probably the ones that they've adjusted the most quickly um, so I, I think that sector will be interesting. I agree with Gavin on the the build to rent market. If that, I think that's what you were really saying, yeah, yes. the build to rent <laughs> market. Um, and you know we're seeing you know again some big growth in that. I mean I I slightly worry for society if if the no one can actually afford to buy a house, they are being forced to to rent, and that's a that's in a that's a side factor of it, but. Um, as a as a landlord, I think it that is that is that is good business, um, and then maybe we should just talk very quickly about sort of London and the London residential market because I think that's probably markets that we probably collectively support. Um, we're seeing, um, I think Savills were coming out with a sentiment this morning talking about a sort of two tier market, really rather d- driven by debt, and you take the sort of prime central London market, which isn't particularly driven by debt, is pretty robust. Um, and uh, you know there are a few sellers in that market uh whereas that you know that if you actually do your affordability index for the the normal family home in the in the, in the suburbs it's very very expensive mm-hmm. so i think there will be i think there'll be a, probably a correction there um but still you know i think people still want to live in london and i think that's probably what we've seen coming out of covid <laughs> if yeah. anything there's that that return into the town I've just got, I've got one hobby horse, which I, I don't know if it's appropriate to, to air. Um, the fact that you asked me is that absolutely is. Okay, like, no, it, it's just on the um, sort of ESG repurposing um, element is one of the things that strikes us, or strikes me anyway, as inappropriate now is the, the VAT regime on new build. So, okay, so my, my point is here, V8, you're zero rated for residential new build, whereas if you try and repurpose a, an old office building into residential, you're paying 20%. So developers are being encouraged to rip down and uh, build from new because it's cheaper. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 it strikes me that that, and I, I get why VAT for was zero rated to encourage house building, but actually if we're trying to be more responsible with our stock and try and keep the carbon captured maybe that's one that does need to be relooked at that's a lengthy list of opportunities for will and his peers to get to grips with in the coming months thanks to will paul and gavin for joining me and thank you for listening as always for more on the real estate finance market as well as eg's other news analysis and data head to egi.co.uk forward slash news Oh, <laughs>